so good, again, being together. Pastor Kristen's going to join me as we continue in our sermon series. Over the last uh, few weeks, we've been in a sermon series called A Church Like Christ. And um, I don't know about you, but for me, it has been uh, encouraging at moments, but then also challenging in moments of the reminders that come from the book of Ephesians when Paul is writing to those early Christians of saying, you know, you are, you are no longer a part of the community and culture of the world, and, and that way of living, that old way of living is over, and now you've been brought into a new way of living. And Paul reminded us in um, earlier chapters of Ephesians that we're supposed to put off our old self, and we're taking on a new self, a new identity that's in Christ Jesus. And so we want to continue that in our study today. We started last week in um, the moving into the final verses, the final chapter of Ephesians. I think one of the things that I've been noticing as we've been studying Ephesians is, um, and I think this is the power of God that's working in my heart through it, is this um, regular recognition in the ways that I can find ways of justifying my actions, <laughs> justifying the way that I relate to others, justifying the way that I might think about other people or other situations. And so it's like I keep finding myself in these places in my own relationships, whether it be uh, my relationships with uh, those in my home and my family or those in our community or those in the world around me of getting to a point where, you know, I kind of get frustrated or I have, you know, um, an offense that I feel like I want to hold on to. And God just kind of comes in and says, whoa, 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 <laughs> let's wait a minute and let's process this and work through this and see what's really happening here. And really just honestly assess my own um, ways that I relate to other people and, and really just challenging me to love people in a whole new way than I've, I've ever learned to love people before. And so I'm thankful for Ephesians. It is challenging me. I hope and pray that it's challenging um, you and our community. And because ultimately, you know, we want to grow to become more like Christ. We don't want to just say that uh, we have a belief in God and it be some sort of religious commitment that we've made, but we want to actually um, begin to look more and more uh, the way that Christ uh, looked and lived and loved. And so um, we're going to continue the, that kind of theme this morning as we walk through uh, Ephesians. Um, we're going to bring kind of some remembrance back from the end of Ephesians chapter 5, but we'll go into Ephesians chapter 6. But just to kind of give a little bit of a review of what we talked about last week um, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses starting in verses 21, um, you know, Paul is calling specifically um, in this passage is kind of those household relationships. So Paul addresses in the Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21, he says, submit one to another. Now that's a call that is for everybody, a call that is for all of those that are in Christ, um, for those that are in relationship with, with any kind of relationship. So it's this call to, to submit one to another. And part of what we talked about is that call to submit one to another is, is a call of mutuality. Um, and what is mutuality? It's a sense of coming together where we no longer center ourselves, um, but we center Christ in that relationship. And in doing so, we are able to be others aware. We are able to um, have a sense or carry a regular sense of otherness, of being um, for the other person, of recognizing the Imago Dei, the, the worth of of each person being created in the image of God. And so no matter how they receive us, no matter how they respond to us, we are able to, to 
respond and, and connect with people in a way uh, with love and respect, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. And so it's that sense of mutuality of coming together. And so it's this idea of submitting one to one to another out of reverence for Christ. And then Paul moves on, and we talked about this, how he kind of takes this section of Scripture at the end of chapter 5 and into chapter 6 to directly address the household relationships. And in doing so, he talks about husbands and wives and that it's this call to submit one to another. It's not about a, a positioning or an ordering in the relationship, but it's about a, a submission and a call to, again, mutuality, humility in the relationship, a way of preferring um, each other. And and so um, we look at this as, we talked about this as this idea of submitting one to another. It's not a model, an example that is normal, it feels like. And in fact, it's actually Paul is being fairly radical in the way that he's calling people to this way of living, but he's calling people to a way of living that models Christ in a way that where, where we see the, the life of Christ Jesus as he walked the earth, that he served, that he gave, that he loved, and that he um, treated people uh, with respect respect and with honor and regularly was pouring out his life for the other. And so Paul is inviting us into this way of modeling Christ in our relationship. And, and as we're doing that, again, it's a recognition that if, if we're to be modeling Christ and we have to acknowledge, we cannot do this on our own. In our own humanity, we are going to fall and we are going to fail in this. But as we begin to center Christ in our relationships and center Christ in our own individual uh, journey with, with him, then we can actually be empowered to do that. And so let's look today at Ephesians 5, um, verses 31 through 33. This is the latter part of what we looked at last week where he is, again, addressing husbands and wives. And, and I'll say, we said this last week, that even though he's addressing husbands and wives in this passage, this is a call for all of us, whether we are married or we are single, in, whether it's in our singleness or it's in our marriage, this is a call that we all have a way that we should be treating all of those. And so it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31, it says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So as we address these scriptures here, we're going to look at this first in relation to what Paul is talking about here. So husband and wife, and then we're going to kind of translate transition that and look at how that same call of love and respect applies into to all of our relationships. And so if you, if you missed our um, sermon from last Sunday, you can go back online, you can watch it there to get caught up. But one of the things that like Pastor Kristen is mentioning is the fact that Paul is saying, you know, we've been talking about this big view of who God is and this, this big view of what Christ Jesus has done in us. And so now let's bring it down to a level of applying it right there within the, the community that you're living in. And so, you know, he's, he's pulling this example of like husbands and wives, and then we'll see a few other examples um, in the next few verses that we'll look at. But what he's doing is he's saying, let's take those relationships that you're experiencing right now within, within your own household, because these are churches that were actually not meeting in church buildings, but they were meeting in houses. And he's saying, let's, let's talk about how you're going to live this out. And so the way that you live this out is with a love and respect for one another. It's this idea of understanding that 
This is a, a flowing of these characteristics between one another. And so we've seen that the example of Christ Jesus is to give himself self-sacrificing for the other. The ultimate display of love that's been you know, named in Scripture is laying down one's life on behalf of the other. And so Christ Jesus so freely gave that love. And then as Pastor Kristen was saying, in the same way, there's this high, high respect for others. And so as Paul names this of saying, okay, well, you know, a husband must love his wife and a wife must love her husband. It's not creating this like isolated way of saying, well, love only goes one direction and then respect only goes one direction. But it's actually saying, look, these are the characteristics that you're living out. And so this needs to be flowing between one another because not only does it impact a husband and wife, but if they are children, it impacts that relationship. It impacts relationships around it. And so what he's saying is in, in all of this, there's a way of understanding that we're following the command of Christ Jesus to become like Christ Jesus, to, to love one another in the same way that we have been loved by God uh, through Christ Jesus. And so if we're loving in the way of Christ, what we're doing is we're actually loving and respecting one another. It's that, that command of Christ to love one another as I have loved you. We see that throughout the Gospels. It says, what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is this, the scripture says, to love your neighbor as yourself. And um, so in that call to love one another, there's also a call to respect one another. And we recognize, you know, that, um, again, one of the many times that scripture has been weaponized and used or reduced um, to, to look at this in a way of saying, well, in regards to gender roles of, well, the husband needs respect and um, the woman needs love. And so, you know, we want to recognize that, no, the actual call that, that we all have is to, to offer continuous love and continuous respect. And the, and the question really is, um, if we're loving in the way of Christ, will, we should also be respecting one another. I mean, is it even possible to truly offer uh, respect for one another without love? for one another. And so um, we're bringing these, you know, these characteristics of a healthy relationship, a relationship that honors God, a relationship that is modeled after Christ. We're bringing those characteristics and attributes together into the relationship. And how it gets expressed and how it gets played out might be unique in every single relationship, whether it be between a husband and wife, or it be between a father and a child, or a mother and a child, or a sister and a brother, um, or a coworker or a friend, but the reality is, is that it's that, that same core principles of loving and respecting others. And so, again, we see that this is really a radical call from Paul, um, and, and it does have deeper implications beyond the quick surface level reading of our text. That's why we have to go deeper beyond just, oh, well, he's talking about husbands and wives here. I'm not married, so I'm going to move on to the next passage of Scripture, but recognizing that Paul wants his readers to experience the deeply transformative love of God and that as we're experiencing that deeply transformative love of God that we are then enabled and empowered and called to begin to offer that and extend that to others. Um, the deeper and the more uh, authentic place that our love goes for all people, not just in our personal relationships, but in the world. This, again, radical call to love others as Christ has loved us. That's what scripture calls us to do. The, the deeper and the more authentic way that that love goes for us, the more uh, ways that we be, will be empowered to respect others. Now, the, the, the key here is, is that 
culturally or in our world, the way that we've created respect is that respect is a, a thing that I give you if you've earned my respect. So if I can trust you, if, if you have shown me that you are worthy of respect, then I will show you respect in return. That makes a lot of sense. I can understand that. But the call that Paul is making here is, again, radical. In some ways, it feels irrational even. How in the world could I respect another person that has abused me? Or how do I respect another person who does not respect my boundaries? How do I respect another person who honestly just does not at all resemble a, a nice person? That's a great question because, again, what Paul is doing here is he's radically calling us to live a different way. And, you know, and we'll talk about this throughout the message, but the call to, to love others from Jesus was a radical call. I mean, it's a call that honestly for myself, I feel it's almost impossible on a daily basis. The way that Jesus said to love your enemies, to pray for your enemies, the way that Jesus said to forgive those as, as you have been forgiven by Christ, to turn your other cheek when you've been slapped. I mean, those are radical calls right? Uh, this, I mean, literally, as Jesus said in Matthew, to take up your cross and follow him. And so we may have been taught to respect others based off of how they have responded to us and the actions of others. But biblical respect is a way of honoring each person in the imago Dei, the image of God, the way that they have been made by their creator Biblical respect is a way of respecting and honoring the other simply for the fact that they are one of God's creations, simply for the fact that they hold inherent worth and value, not based off of what they've done or how they live, but simply by their creator. And that is something that is so difficult to do. Does biblical respect mean being in toxic relationships? No. Does biblical respect mean not having any boundaries in your relationship? No. <laughs> Does biblical respect mean that you have to be in deep relationship with every single person? Absolutely not. So we got to unpack that, which we're, we're not in this sermon, because again, this is just one part of what Paul's talking about. But I think it's important to recognize that that call to love and respect that both Christ gives throughout the Gospels, and then even Paul is modeling here and bringing back around here, is not one based off of how we're treated. It's not one based off of, well, if, if I feel this person deserves it, then this is how I'm going to respond to them. And so, again, radical calls that requires us to be centering Christ in our own individual lives and in relationships. So I want to move on so, you know, we don't um, get too lost in that. Um, but I think what, you know, before we move on to the next point, which is where Paul is addressing children and parents, I think, you know, kind of make a note for yourself of, you know, how do I come to a place where, where I am able to, to show love, to offer love and show respect and offer love, uh, res I'm sorry, show respect and offer respect, not dependent on how the other person is responding to me, but simply based off of the fact that they are one of God's created ones and it's a command from scripture. I think that requires, again, the transforming work in Christ. It's a daily struggle. It's a journey. It's, it's not something where we're always going to get right, um, but it's something that we can work to grow in and, and strive towards. Yeah, and I think 
that's one of the things that's important for us to, to remember here. Um, we're talking about it again in the relationship of husband and wife, but the truth is even if it's a, a dating relationship or, or any other um, close relationship, so often we do use that, that love, that respect, and, and treating others as a, as a means of um, getting what we want or what we need of like, well, if I give a little more love, if I give a little more respect, then I, I'll get this back from them in return. And so we can actually turn it into a transactional way of living and Paul's saying, no, that's not, Christ didn't give himself freely for us to then get something from us, but it was this um, a premeditated, unmerited show of grace that God gave toward us and saying, can you live that way? Like, what would it look like for a community of faith? What would it look like for families and relationships, those closest relationships? What would it look like to actually live in this place of mutuality, of preferring the other over ourselves, our own wants, our own desires, and and being in a way of truly um, living with that openness that comes from Christ Jesus? And I think that's, again this radical call to unity that Paul has been talking about all along the way of saying like in in mutuality you find the place of actually coming into the unity that is putting Christ Jesus at the center of of all of it and I think there's it's again and we we could stay this could be a whole sermon series so I do want to be careful that we don't get um too long on it and we miss the other stuff but I think it's so freeing when we live this way. I, I can personally testify to this because this is like something that I have tried to make. Even as I'm being challenged in Ephesians, I'm regularly trying to make this like a goal to, to strive for of releasing people's obligation to me as a determination of whether I'm going to love them, respect them, care for them, serve, give, etc. When I release people's obligation, when I release you from your obligation to treat me or respond to me or love me or show me I'm worthy in some way, it actually sets me free to love more deeply and more authentically. And the reason that it does that is because in the process of that, I am not looking to you I'm not looking to Brad. I'm not looking to my children to pour into me what only God can pour into me, which is unconditional love, unconditional acceptance, and unconditional belonging. As deeply as Brad loves me, he will never be able to fully love me wholly and perfectly because he is not perfect himself. But my God and my Father can love me wholly and perfectly. So if I can first receive the deep love of Christ Jesus and the deep acceptance and belonging of Christ Jesus, I can release Brad of the obligation to be perfect all the time, to treat me in the way that I want to be treated all the time, to accept me in the way that I wanted to be accepted, to always just be my safe place. Although those are things we're striving for in our relationship, I don't have to look to him as the sole provider of that because I'm relying on something greater than him and something greater than myself. So there's actually something really freeing in that to where I am not constantly fixed on how do I get you to love me in the way that I want to be loved, whether it be my husband, whether it be my church community, whether it be my, you know, people I work with or, you know, my, the people I serve and in leadership, I can be released and say, I don't need to control you. You're going to be who you are. You're going to act the way that you're going to act. And, but I'm not looking to you to serve me. And actually in that freedom, it gives me the clarity of mind and the ability of health to say, now I'm going to place some boundaries in some relationships that need boundaries. So again, I know we could spend so much time there. We're going to move on to children and parents. So let's read Ephesians. 
chapter she's, six. <laughs> she's moving, moving us, us along. I'm yeah. moving us along. But you can hear how freeing it becomes then, especially when it's in a community of faith and that mutuality of then, if we're all striving for living this way toward one another, I mean, think about how transformative that would look. So let's look at it in the context. Paul moves on next, and he starts naming the children-to-parent relationship. And again, I think this is so um, unique and amazing because in that culture, this is what we talked about a little bit last week, um, in this idea of like the household code that you would see like Greek philosophers, Aristotle, different ones writing it, they would always address kind of just the male patriarchal head of the household in their writing. But Paul says, you know what? This isn't just for the the adult male head of household. This is for everyone. And so look at what he writes then as he begins to name others that would be in the room as this letter is being read. He says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. He's referring back to the Ten Commandments. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Again, referring to an Old Testament biblical scripture. Then verse number four. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And so what, again, is so unique about this and is amazing is Paul is showing, again, another example of this idea of a mutual submission to one another. And so he's saying, like, this isn't just for, you know, husbands and wives to one another to work out. You should. You need to work this out. But also now it's being worked out in the relationship of parent to children. And so, you know, think about it like this kind of powerful moment where in the in the community of faith, this household church gathering together, hearing Paul's letter being read, he acknowledges in his letter, hey, there's kids in the room. There's children that are there. We're speaking to the whole family. And he kind of he kind of brings them to the front and with his words. And he says, look, there's a way that you can start living in Christ Jesus. There's a way that you can live this out. And so it's starting to display, again, the radical nature of Paul's message where he's saying, like, this is a different culture. This is a different way of living in Christ Jesus. It's not the way that what you've known before in your culture and your day and your time of, of living, but actually children have an important place in this. And so we can see even historically, and I don't want to get too deep into professor mode, but even historically in, in the Roman Empire, um, it was a, a place that was really cruel toward children. Children were not, um, you know, now we've got, I'll be careful how I say this, but we have like, you know, participation trophies and like nurturing and raising children up and like, you know, we want to see them nurtured and, and do well and we're, we're working more toward um, it, it seeing the humanity in children. Like we've really, like things have changed. Like it's not, you know, the Charles Dickens era of like child and slave labor. <laughs> and even in the historic times, what was happening there was a, just such a cruel environment where, you know, children... Um, um, babies and small children would be abandoned and just left to the elements if they were, you know, deformed or um, were too sick to survive on their own. They would just be um, put aside um, and allowed to just like the elements happen, whatever happens to them. Um, even children a lot of times were viewed as uh, a complication within the household and a limiting, um, especially in just the promiscuity of the culture. Um, and even like uh, it made it more complicated to divorce a spouse because then there were killed, children involved. And so it was this way of looking at children as like um, more of a, a difficulty and obligation and an unwanted responsibility, um, except for patriarchal lineage of like being able to pass down um, wealth or, or property or something like that to children. And so what Paul's doing here is he's saying, actually, children have value. 
Like the, the spirit of Christ Jesus is already working in them. And so let's work to nurture that. Let's work to actually develop that. And so for us, we can see, you know, we live in a different day, a different time, a different culture where children are valued um, on a much higher level, but yet we can recognize, especially when it comes to um, a family relationship and the parental relationship, not only do we, we not get it right all the times, there's sometimes out of our own unhealth, there's sometimes out of our own um, challenges or difficulties in um, trying to just live out our own faith or, or deal with our own physical or emotional health or our mental health um, or just using the same routines and parenting that we saw or sometimes the reactionary way that happens. And I know I've done this where it's like, okay, well, the things I didn't like of my childhood or the parenting I experienced, I'm going to do what? I'm going to do the opposite of that. And I think you hear that a lot of times with parents of like, I'm trying to be the parent that I didn't have. And and, and those things are maybe... Um, good merit and well-intentioned, but what Christ or what Paul is saying of Christ Jesus is there is a, a different way in this mutuality of one another, of respecting and loving one another that looks different. And now one of the things that happens here in the language is that Paul's been talking about submit to one another, but in talking about parents to children, he uses the word obey. And it's a different word than this idea of submitting. And so that's how um, we can see in the language there that Paul's not saying when we submit to one another that it's this like parental type of child obeying parent. Mutual submission um, looks different than just obedience, but he does use a word there, obedience, which is this idea of listening, learning, respecting, looking up to one who is um, in, in a sense of authority or power structure above. And so he's saying, um, you know, the calling here is like, Children, obey your parents, and in this, you're going to discover the fullness of life that God intended and created. And then at the same time, he looks to the parents and he says, look, don't misuse your children. Don't, certainly don't abuse your children, but actually lead them in this nurturing Christ-like way that comes from the Lord. And so this dynamic would have been, again, such a radical call in his day, in his time, and even as for us of putting this challenge before us of, as parent to child and then children to parents, how are we going to live this out? Like, what does this truly look like? And so he acknowledges, you know, the necessity of, of parents assuming the responsibility for their children. But at the same time, he, some, he says there's something greater at work here within the household beyond just, you know, raising a child. But it's actually developing and leading them in the way of Christ Jesus. And so you know, um, this is one of those things that, again, goes back to like Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 3 of um, allowing Christ Jesus to make a home in our hearts and seeing our roots grow down deep into God's love and realizing that for parents to children, this is the opportunity. This is the encouragement. This is the call to raise children toward adulthood that will experience the fullness of Christ Jesus in that way. I love that Paul is like specifically not just addressing parents here, but, or I'm sorry, not just addressing children here, but he's also addressing parents because again, Paul is speaking to that mutuality thing of, okay, so, you know, children, I'm going to give you some instruction, you know, for all the children in the room right now, hey, 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 <laughs> you know, here's your instruction. Oh, I see my kids poking their little heads up back there. Children, obey your parents, honor your mother and father, respect them, love them, care for them, um, you know, be present as they speak to you and as they show instruction, as they discipline you and, and all of those things that they do because they deeply love you and care about you. But then Paul says, and now parents, ho, 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 you need to, you need to pay attention to this. Parents, don't provoke your children. Don't push your children. And I, like, 
this is like such a challenge for me for someone who is so quick tempered, for someone who is, you know, I got a lot of feelings, I got a lot of opinions, a lot of thoughts, and and it just got to get out. And so this has been something that I have had to work on my entire um, life as a parent is God help me to not... Um, take who I am and how I'm wired and my quick temper and, and all of those kinds of things to, to take that in a way that actually provokes or, or, you know, suppresses my children, but help God, would you use the intensity that's me and the passion that's me and, and the desire to, to teach my children and to disciple my children and um, not just give them instruction, but help them know why I'm giving them instruction. Would you take all of that and help me do it in a way that again, does not provoke them, but in a way that shows love and discipline and kindness to them. And this requires, the tr- again, the transforming work of Christ. And it's a journey and addressing the areas where we fail, you know, and, and learning and working and gaining tools to, to do, um, to parent our children, even as adults and our adult children, you know, to love our children and care for our children and honor our children and support our children in a way that honors God and in a way that honors them as as, as people. And so there are some aspects that come into play here. Just as in our regular relationships, the parent and child relationship is the same. Whether it's child, you, and you, you know, some of you may not have children, but you are children to parents that, that may still be living and still be present, you know, and, and you have a relationship with them, or vice versa. Again, as parents to children, of, you know, there are going to be times where we need to acknowledge the ways that we have not honored one another. And so we need to go to our children or go to our parents and acknowledge and say, I'm sorry, you know, the way that I was acting, the way that I was talking, the way that I, the things I said, that was, that was not honoring you. And that, that was not bringing respect to you and showing the, the value and the worth that you have as one that's created by God. And I deeply love you. And the way that I was in that moment or in that situation was not a model and was not reflective of the actual deep love and care that I have for you. And so I apologize and, and I repent for that. And I confess that and I ask for your forgiveness. Would you forgive me? And I can tell you that if you have small children, starting that from the time that they are tiny and modeling that for your children, you will model something for them that they will need to learn of what it means to ask for grace and ask for forgiveness and and be somebody who is willing to acknowledge their own wrongdoing. And in doing so, you also show them love and you show them the love of Christ and you give an example of the grace and the kindness and forgiveness that Christ offers us. And so, um, again, this, as parents, you know, again, it's important that we own the ways that we fail. And, and, and as children, it's important that we, um, especially again, you know, as children that are young, parents, we're modeling for them. So I'm modeling to my children when I go to them and I say, you know, will you forgive me, you know, for, for uh, yelling in this way? Or, you know, here's what I was trying to say, because this is important for you to hear, but I said it in all the wrong ways. So can I, I, I need to start over with you. And we need to do that when our children are young, but even with our adult children, adult parents to adult children, I don't have a adult children, so I can imagine it might be difficult at times to, as an adult, to another adult child to say, hey, I was, I was wrong. I got too involved in your issues. I'm so sorry, because that's often, I, I've heard, it isn't, I mean, I don't know, but I've heard that's an issue with adult children or adult parents. Oh my goodness. 
I'm getting all my words mixed up. Adult parents with adult children of, hey, acknowledge the ways that you've gotten involved in your kid's mess and you need to get out of it because it's not your problem, <laughs> you know, and you need to like have boundaries as, as a parent of an adult child. Um, and then adult children. One way that you can honor your adult, your parents as adults is to put boundaries in to your relationships, you know, as you need to. And so Paul is not calling us to become doormats. You know, it's, this is really important, both in our our, our home family relationships, but in our relationships with the world around us. Paul is not calling us to become doormats. He's not calling us to accept abuse or to lack boundaries in our relationships. The reality is, is when we love well and we receive God's love by bringing care for ourselves and others, we actually then learn how to create healthy boundaries. We learn how to communicate expectations in relationships with one another to communicate what we need from a relationship. And we learn how to maintain a sense of individuality all within the relationship. So Paul is not calling us to a place of enmeshment or codependence or a way that we're all immersed in one another. He's calling us to a place of individuality with a sense of inter interdependence upon one another. Individuality and interdependence upon one another, living in community together. And so um, before we, you know, We've got uh, just a few more points or whatever, but we want to move into the next section because the next section has brought so much confusion because then Paul starts using, um, uh, it starts addressing the relationship of masters and slaves. And so before we bring all of this together, we want to, we want to make sure that we keep at the, at the middle, the core of the principles that Paul is teaching. And so we're not going to just brush by this little section where he starts addressing the relationship of masters and slaves. We can't brush by that. We can't ignore that. We need to um, address Paul's language there and, and his use of the relationship of slaves and masters. This language is confusing actually. And honestly, it brings anger of the injustice of what we know um, that type of relationship to be of a slave to a master or a master to slave. There's an injustice that's there. And yet we must not um, ignore uh, that the passage, but we have to take a moment to actually kind of unpack and understand why Paul has included this relationship in his letters, and then how we should respond today, okay? And so let's read that. It's in, um, moving on to chapter, it's in chapter 6, verse 5. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. So slave was universal in the ancient world. And there's so much that's packed into this part of what Paul is saying. Um, but we're going to look specifically at his language that he's using. I think this is important. Slavery was universal in the ancient world. Um, and so Brad's going to share a little bit, put his little professor hat on. <laughs> we'll just I think it's great. And, and it's a gift that you have. <laughs> Thank you. I don't. So you're going to, yeah, I'm going to hand that over so to So again, you. I think context is really important. And, and so um, understanding that 
that Paul here, um, there's a part of us that wants in our, our modern context to um, want for Paul to address slavery and call out the injustice of slavery, to call for um, an end to slavery, of freeing those that are slaved, uh, that were enslaved to the masters that, that he's addressing here. And um, we want something from the scripture that's just not there. And so we need to first look at it and understand the context of where, where Paul was first writing this and then um, seeing what we can actually learn from that. And so again, as Pastor Chris had mentioned, like the idea of slavery was universal in the ancient world. Um, some, it was, I mean, there's some settings within um, the Roman Empire where the percentage of enslaved people to freed people or masters was actually greater. Um, then at some points, it was actually estimated that there were um, almost 60 million slaves at different points um, throughout the history of the Roman Empire alone. And so you think about what that means for a culture and a context and a people um, it was a part of the way of life. Uh, you can think of our own history here in the United States and know that there were times in our American history where slavery was a part of the fabric and the culture, and it was understood to be somewhat normative and accepted, and it was the way that society functioned. And so in this, we see um, people who were enslaved being the people who made up the workforce, um, but it wasn't just in a way that was domestic servants or um, people who were doing manual physical labor, but actually in the ancient world, they, um, there would be people who were enslaved that were actually educated and were working in places as doctors or teachers and administrators, and the way that they ended up becoming enslaved people was um, through through many different forms, not in the way that we would understand in the United States of like the transatlantic slave trade, but it was actually um, in this way of being inherited or, or, or purchased as um, a family, as a person, we understand that, but then also sometimes um, people were acquired as as bad debt and you know to pay off a debt a person would actually come into and um, become enslaved sometimes um, people especially in the Roman Empire became slaves because they were prisoners of war and the Roman Empire would go in and take over a place and the people who were living there would become enslaved people and so with this um, there was very much again this idea of um, almost no one in Paul's time questioned it um, challenged it and just said like this is status quo. And so we have Paul not in this place um, working to address the dynamic that's there. He's not challenging it in a, in a cultural practice, but again, he's talking about it within the household and saying to those of you within the household, the way that you relate to one another in Christ is really important. And so what part of what we can see being revealed here is um, the fact that Paul is writing his letter and saying to those of you who are slaves— Here's how you should live is him acknowledging that there were not just husbands and wives in the room. There weren't just parents and children in the room, but there were actually the master-slave dynamic in the room and happening um, where his letter would have been would have been read. In other parts of Paul's writing, we see that there were those who were people that were um, enslaved that were coming to Christ and were, were beginning to follow in the way of Christ. And so he's teaching them how to live in this way. We even see in the book of uh, Philemon where he writes a letter to Philemon and he says, um, Onesimus, one of your slaves, um, ran away, came and um, has come into relationship with me. And as I've been teaching him the ways of Christ, I'm now sending him back to you. And there's kind of this expectation in Paul's letter of saying like, look, you need to change the, the relationship here. You need to release 
release him and um, move him into becoming a freed person. And, and so he's kind of speaking and addressing that in this one letter. Philemon's a really short book of the Bible. And so there's elements of Paul addressing kind of slavery as a whole, but what we, what we want to look at here is not using it in a way to endorse slavery. It doesn't endorse prejudice. It doesn't endorse bias or, or anything that we have seen even historically in our own country or presently in our country, but recognize that Paul is naming something that existed relationally, and he's saying in every type of relationship, this love and respect, this mutuality is so vital and important. And so there's a, there's a sensitivity to how we handle these scriptures of knowing that it does rest in a cultural place and time, and yet it also represents a greater dynamic of saying that Christ Jesus is working in everyone's heart and everyone's life. And so in this, there's a place of, of remembering part of what gets lost when a person is dehumanized, is that the, the beauty of the Imago Dei, the beauty of the fact that every person bears God's image, every person bears worth. And so what Paul is doing is he's working to start restoring that and saying, hey, in that slave and master relationship that exists in your household right now, there's a new way of relating to one another. There's a new way of loving one another that looks different, and it's in the way of Christ Jesus. It's bringing people back to a place of not dehumanizing and, and using titles and roles, but it's actually saying, like, you are a people who are in Christ Jesus, and so now there's a different way that you're called to live. Despite the cultural behaviors or despite the cultural understanding at the time, that's exactly what Paul is saying is what he's doing is he's actually, in fact, elevating every person in society to the same place of standing, equal standing under Christ Jesus. At the time, women were at a lower place in standing in, in the world um, and in the culture. Children at, were at a lower place in the world and in that culture. And then people who were enslaved were at a lower place in the world and in that culture. And so what Paul is saying is he's like, I'm elevating each person. I, you know, you, you guys have created hierarchy. You've created all kinds of order and position and you've abused power, but I am elevating. Yeah, I am elevating each person into equal standing, partnership, unity, oneness under Christ. And so I know we question, I've questioned it over and over and over again, why Paul did not uh, preach abolishing slavery. I mean, this was the most opportune time for Paul to actually um, preach against and, and abolish slavery rather than encourage this Christ living uh Christ living. I mean, it's great that he was encouraging Christ living within the structure of, of slavery. Um, and, and Paul's omission of rejecting the concept of slavery uh, can actually feel really contradictory to the whole work of God uh, through Christ Jesus and the whole redemptive story of God. And, and it seems contradictory even to the call of mutuality and the call for those of Christ to walk in unity with one another and humility with love to one another. And so we have we ask, you know, we, we ask these questions. It has been asked. It has been challenged um, the way some components and practices of the culture at the time were brought into the Holy Scriptures. It's a mystery that we, we can't fully understand, that we can't fully wrap our minds around. And so we have no way of knowing um, Paul's intentions or motivation for not naming the institution of slavery as evil as it was and calling for masters to free their slaves. But we do see, again, as Paul, as 
Brad mentioned, we see aspects of, of Paul intimating the release of slaves and Paul intimating the need for people to live free um, and to be free in Christ and to live in equal standing. But regardless of how Paul worded himself in the Holy Scriptures, we do know the evils of slavery. Slavery contradicts the beauty and the wonder of the Imago Dei, the image of God, in every person, regardless of the, the language that, that Paul uses. And so there, there is a, a stain, in a sense, on, on these verses when we um, look at the history of the United States and we see the way that these verses were weaponized to actually justify the actions of people who brought, um, of, of people and workers and, and founding fathers and, and all kinds of people in, in the history of the United States that actually brought people into slavery and bought people to bring them into slavery. So we can't, you know, it's, it's difficult, you know, it, because these, these, these uh, verses and the language that is used can be so triggering and so painful for our, our uh, black brothers and sisters and brown brothers and sisters that have um, the ancestry that's there and the history of, of having family members experience that. Um, and yet we can't gloss over the verses either because we need to use the opportunity when we come across these verses to, again, understand what is happening in the context of the scripture, but then also to look at who are we to be today? Who, how are we to respond to this today? So it's important for us, even in a moment like this morning, as coming across this scripture, as we go through all of Ephesians, to, to disown any sort of behavior, any sort of policy, any sort of, of act or attitude that would regard a fellow brother or sister as somehow less than, we must dis denounce and disown any sort of attitude, any sort of worldview that diminishes the inherent value that each of us carry because we were created by God. We do not ignore it. We do not avoid it. But we call it, we call it out, and we say we take this opportunity to to disown that. And so much like the passage earlier, again, the passage earlier that we talked about last week of husbands and wives, again, has been weaponized and used to suppress women and to demean women. So we have to call out the times that we come across scriptures that have been used by humanity to, to change or distort or manipulate God's original purpose for creation, God's desire for the redemption of all creation. And so we hold fast. You know, when we come across these things, we hold fast to the truth of God's character we hold fast to God's view of, of his creation. Um, we hold fast to his um, desire to see each person as one who is loved, as one who is respected, as one who is named worthy, and bringing people. That was God's work through Christ Jesus was to bring people together in, in, in unity and in oneness under Christ Jesus. And so we hold fast to, to that, and, and we work to see God moving in the midst of it. And so as we kind of bring everything to a close here, you know, with all of that in mind, we want to come back to those core principles of otherness, uh, a non-centering of ourself, but a centering of Christ and our relationship with one another. We want to bring back the, the core principles of mutual, mutuality, of submitting to one another, again, loving others as ourselves. 
And we acknowledge that in and of our own power, as much as we may desire and strive for it, we need God's help to do this. We need the power of Christ Jesus within us, the example and the model of Christ Jesus to be able to empower us to live in this way in our relationships. We need to to be able to walk in the grace of Christ Jesus, the strength that he gives us. You know, the grace that says um, that he, uh, through we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that he gives us grace and power in our weaknesses, that, that when we don't feel like we have what it takes to, to bear the fruit of love and bear the fruit of patience and goodness and gentleness and long-suffering, that we are reminded that we are not on our own, that we're not trying to do this in and of our own power and efforts, but that we are in dependence and reliance upon Christ Jesus. And so the final kind of thought that we that we bring here is, is the, the reality is that we each, each of us in this room and each of us online, have to challenge ourselves um, and challenge the ways that we live and that we love and that we relate to the world around us, to the people around us. Do we live, love, and relate more like the world with others, or do we live, love, and relate more like Christ Jesus? And so in every relationship we see throughout the Gospels, the, the life that Christ lived and, the, and, what, and what Christ taught and still teaches today is Jesus said, love your enemies do good to those who hate you, turn the other cheek, forgive as you've been forgiven. Jesus bent and washed the feet, served and washed the feet of of brothers who would betray him, of brothers who would reject him, of brothers who would doubt him. Jesus laid down his life and called us to lay down our life for the other. And it's it's radical. (laughs) It, It seems absolutely impossible, and it's not even fully understood. I think that's why we see the word mystery often in Scripture, that it's a mystery. But it's part of our discipleship, and it's part of our growing in Christ. And if we are to say that we are Uh, we are one who follows Christ Jesus, then we must challenge ourselves in the way that we live, love, and relate to others. And so in doing all of this, we also acknowledge, in doing this with Christ, we also acknowledge that it enables us to, to let go of the unhealthy ways that we pull from others what only God can give us, as I, I mentioned earlier. So that's another way that we challenge ourselves this morning. In what way am I pulling from other people or longing to receive from other people that they are not able to give or that they couldn't fully satisfy that need in me that I really need to be looking, looking to God to satisfy those longings and satisfy those needs? Because the more that we look to others to fulfill something deeply inside of us, the more that we are going to lack boundaries in our relationship, the more that we're going to have unrealistic expectations in our relationship, and the more that we're going to try to man, uh, manipulate and control our relationships and control others. And so we cannot control the way others act and the way others live and the, other, the ways others love and the, others, well, the way others relate, but we can have self-control in the way that we do. We can remember that again, when we are in relationship with Christ, that we are brought into a new way of living, a new way of loving. There's a quote that I wanna read you as we close. Um, I kinda just wanna think of it as 
just some thoughts to meditate on from um, Henry Nowen. He's, uh, he was a priest, um, just, you know, he's an author, um, and he, just, he has a, actually a really powerful book that I would encourage anybody to pick up, The Return of the Prodigal Son. But in this book, he's kind of breaking down the story of the prodigal son, of um, the son that comes home uh, to the father, and the way that f- the father welcomes the prodigal son, the one that's gone wayward, the one that has rejected him as a father. The father welcomes home the son. No questions asked, you know, no condemnation, no judgment opens his arms, throws him a party, and says, you are now home. And so he kind of goes through that story and looks at the, that, those characteristics of the Father. And that's what we're talking about, the characteristics of God who loves us unconditionally, who welcomes us into belonging, even in our waywardness, even the ways we get off track, we acknowledge we've gotten off track, and we come back home, and he welcomes us home, and he, he helps us move forward again. That same call to come home to Christ through the Father is the same call that we then have to give to others. That our call to come home to the Father and be in relationship with um, God the Father through Christ Jesus is not just for us to have a place of safety and belonging all for ourselves, but it's a, it's a call to, to have that and then share it with the world and then give it to others. And so what he's saying in this, um, this quote, he's talking about that. He says, as long as we belong to this world, we will remain subject to its competitive ways and expect to be rewarded for all the good we do. But when we belong to God who loves us without condition, we can live as he does. The great conversion called for by Jesus is to move from belonging to the world to belonging to God. When shortly before his death, Jesus prays to his father for his disciples. He says, Father, they do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. May they all be one. Just as, Father, you are in me and I am in you, so that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe it was you who sent me. Once we are in God's house as sons and daughters of his household, We can be like him, love like him, be good like him, care like him. Jesus leaves no doubt about this when he explains that if you love those who love you, what credit can you expect? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit can you expect? For even sinners do that much. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to get money back, what credit can you expect? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Instead, love your enemies and do good to them and lend without any hope of return. You will have a great reward and you will be children of the Most High. For he himself is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. In those those, uh, words right there, he's actually quoting scripture from the gospels of words that Jesus said. And then he says this, that is the core message of the gospel. The way human beings are called to love one another is God's way. So as hard and difficult and challenging as this is, this is not some sort of simple like, "Mm," religious duty that we have, or some simple of like, yeah, I guess if I'm going to be a person of faith, I should kind of try to be a little like that. This is a radical call to change the way that we live, the way that we love, 
and the, w- the way that we relate. It's really non-negotiable. There's so much grace and so much compassion and kindness that God has for us when we mess it up. And God is always there to empower us. But the question is, is that our pursuit? The question is, are we, the question is not, are we doing it all right? That's the wrong question. The question is, is that my pursuit? Is that the desire of my heart? Is that the motivation of my heart? And am I willing, am I going, am I willing to actually put practices in place to try to learn how to do that? Those are the questions. Again, the question is not, why can't I get it right? Or am I always getting it right? Those are, those are questions of shame and condemnation. And that's not what Christ calls us to. But the question is, what is my pursuit? And so I want you to close your eyes this morning. And those of you that are online and Pastor Brad is going to pray and probably has a few words to add. And then we're going to close. I know we went a little long last week and we went a little long this week. Um, but such important truths that, that we're learning here and such important challenges, and especially in this season, especially in this season. So uh, we're going to come to a moment of just some some reflection here as we wrap up, and I'm going to offer a prayer for us. But as we do, and if you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes and just um, come to a place of of centering and listening to the Holy Spirit. And I want to take us just through a, a simple practice that you can actually do um, on your own throughout the week. And um, it's a, a version of the, the examine comes from St. Ignatius, but it's a way of allowing us to be able to reflect on what the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us and what we see happening in our lives. And so as we as we do this, I want us to come to just a, a few moments together where we're, we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you and realizing that, yes, we've been talking about um, certain named relationships that Paul addresses, but realizing that there's this overarching dynamic of mutuality and submitting to one another that we're called to do in every relationship. And so take a moment now and listening to Holy Spirit, maybe think back over today or the last few days or, or maybe the last week if you need to of, of your relationships and the ways that you've related to one another and for just a moment now, um, notice in, in the last maybe few hours, or the last few days, times when um, in the awareness of God's presence, you were able to live uh, fully open relationships with those around you. Moments where maybe you would name it getting it right, you know, um, bright moments in the relationship you to others, moments that are, are light and filled with joy. And, and call back a, a moment or two to mind that person uh, put, pull their face before you and, and with God's help, celebrate that moment and recognize the joy of that moment of, of how the Holy Spirit um, was with you and giving you strength. How did you feel in that moment when you were able to just be open and be who you are in Christ Jesus and, and being responsive to the, to the Holy Spirit and, and to God? Maybe you were able to share words of encouragement and truth with another person to display that love and that respect toward another And for just a moment, give God thanks for that. Thank God for that loved one, that person that's in your life that you're able to to sacrificially pour your life out for. God, we thank you for the beautiful relationships, the beautiful people that you have put closest to us. God, may we never take for granted the opportunities we have to be your representative in the world. And so God, we give you thanks for those moments when your strength has empowered us to live that way for you. And now in the same way, let's reflect back over the last few days, the last week, and reflect on those moments where maybe we weren't so aware of God's strength helping us, 
when we feel as though we were closed off to another person. Maybe we were isolating. Maybe we were self-protecting. Maybe we were just responding out of exhaustion or frustration. And in so doing, we, we really didn't represent God well. We missed an opportunity. We got more focused on, on ourselves than maybe another person. And, and without putting any shame on yourself or, or any condemnation on yourself, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Allow yourself to, to be able to, to reflect on those moments through the eyes of Christ. Listen to the Holy Spirit. What were you needing in that moment? What were you needing of God in that moment? Maybe it's praying now a prayer of confession and saying, God, I just need more of you. God, I need your forgiveness so that I can then better forgive others. God, I need your healing and your freedom in my life so then I can be that healing freedom for others. So not in a way that's, that's inappropriately taking on shame or condemnation, but look at those moments and recognize them as opportunities for God to bring awareness for where you need more of the depth of God's work in your life. And as we start to develop a practice like this of, of moving through this definitely daily, but maybe even a couple of times a day of celebrating the places where in relationship to God and others, we we seem to be really embodying the love of Christ Jesus. And then in the same way, recognizing where, where we've missed it, where we've, we've failed to, to live to the fullness of what God has is, is given us and called us to. We then can develop a practice where we live out of a grace and awareness of God's continual presence. God, even now, we invite the Holy Spirit to empower us once again. In Scripture, you... God, you speak of filling us to overflowing, like a cup filled too full that just kind of splashes over and overflows. And, and maybe sometimes in a, in a real world sense, that would be a problem. But when it comes to your love and your grace in our life, that's, a, that's an overflow that we need, that we want. God, may we, may we be so filled to love and respect um, that comes from you, that then it overflows to those in our lives, those that we love the most, those that are nearest to us, those that we have that ability to give, to have an influence on the way that they see you and understand you. And so today, God, as we pray this prayer, I pray, God, that you help us to come to a place of submission to you in Christ Jesus, but then also being able to have that mutuality, that love, that respect toward others. God, I pray that as we read challenging words like this that come from the Apostle Paul, that we can see them, yes, in their context, but also see them in the bigger picture of what Christ Jesus taught and what, God, your love and your grace in this world looks like and realizing, God, that you have called us to live so radically different. And in that calling, there is the promise of empowerment by your spirit to actually live that out here and now. So God, I pray that you give us the strength and the boldness of our faith to, to commit ourselves to live that way on a daily basis. And when it seems as though we've gotten off track, God, to allow your spirit to gently bring us back in, like a sheep that's kind of wandered away from the flock, to just be brought back in and know that we have a place of belonging in the family of God. God, I pray a blessing over each and every one who is listening today, who's joined with us here, whether online or in person. And I pray, God, that as we go into the remainder of our day, that you continue to do that work of, of holding us close to you and giving us the strength that we need to live for you. We pray all of this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.